0: In July, 1911, a young Peruvian boy ran out of his house. He was living in a remote region outside of Cusco, tucked away in the Andes Mountains. Soon,
1: a few locals arrived at his door, some farmers and a sweaty white man with a small crew in tow. His name was Hiram Bingham III, and he was a history professor from Yale.
0: After chatting with the farmers, The boy urged Bingham to follow. He ran ahead, pushing through the forest's lush green overgrowth, glancing back every so often to check on Bingham.
1: Eventually, they made it to the tree line. A thick layer of clouds clung to the Andean peak. The jungle had reclaimed most of the mountaintop, but a few square granite buildings were still visible.
0: There were hundreds of stacked stone structures that defied logic and gravity seemingly endless stepped terraces jutting out of the hill and neat crisscrossing pathways. It was unlike anything Bingham had ever seen.
1: His team spread across the 2,000 foot long city as he snapped photo after photo. Little did Bingham know, his trek to the Peruvian jungle would propel him and the mysterious city to international fame.
0: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm
1: your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer.
0: Every Tuesday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our first episode on Machu Picchu, the legendary Incan city built high atop the Andes Mountains. It baffled scientists for most of the 20th century.
0: Today, we'll discuss how Professor Hiram Bingham III came upon the site in the early 1900s, launching him and Machu Picchu to world fame. Then, we'll take a look at the mysteries surrounding the city and the controversy that seemed to follow Bingham wherever he went.
1: Next time, we'll delve into the history of the Incan Empire to try to uncover how and why Machu Picchu came into existence. When the Spanish conquistadors arrived, the empire came crashing down. Everyone and everything was destroyed, except Machu Picchu.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state
1: New season out on Spotify soon. History is written by the victors. From world wars to school board elections, the stories we tell are almost always framed by those who come out on top.
0: That's especially true when it comes to the Western Hemisphere. From the moment Christopher Columbus stepped foot on the sands of the New World, indigenous history has been muddled.
1: Even the word new is loaded. The Taino people had been living on the island of Hispaniola for centuries by the time Columbus arrived. Some historians estimate their culture dates back as early as 400 BCE. But Columbus didn't know or care about any of that.
0: In his initial letter to the Spanish Crown, who sponsored his trip, he described the beauty of the Caribbean island. He called it an Eden filled with riches, trees that reached the sky, teeming with fruits and budding flowers, and of course, a seemingly endless supply of gold and spices. He assured
1: his sponsors he would claim it all for Spain. He told the Taino, in Spanish, a language they didn't understand, he was taking the land, and they were now under colonial rule. Of
0: course, they had no idea what he was saying. In their eyes, he was probably just a sunburnt, malnourished stranger, theatrically flailing about on their beach. Columbus
1: took their silence as compliance. Soon, the Taino men were enslaved in mines and the women married off to Spanish settlers. Many fled into the jungle. Others died of smallpox. A few decades later, a majority of the island's Taino population had been wiped out by a combination of disease and subjugation.
0: But that's not the story generations of American children learned in an elementary school rhyme. You know, the one that begins in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue.
1: Since that moment in 1492, Europeans were painted as heroes who brought civilization and technology to an untamed terrain. The reality is they brought genocide via guns, germs and steel. Whole societies were decimated and there were other more subtle tragedies.
0: Colonizers forced indigenous peoples to abandon their native languages and assimilate into the culture of their new rulers. In response, Groups like the Mayans resorted to hiding their historical and religious texts deep in the mountains of Central America. That quick thinking kept their heritage alive for later generations.
1: But those who didn't have a written language had a much harder time preserving their way of life. The European colonizers used that lack of documentation to their advantage and told the story however they saw fit.
0: Which brings us to the Inca, one of the most impressive empires in all the Western Hemisphere.
1: At the height of their power in the 15th century, the Inca controlled 2,500 miles of South America, roughly the width of the continental United States.
0: They were expert masons, astronomers, and engineers. Their cities were meticulously designed. Everything had a place and a purpose. They built roads and temples that have survived half a millennium and they did all this without a traditional written language, relying largely on word of mouth to pass down information from generation to generation.
1: Of all their accomplishments that haven't been destroyed, none are as awe-inspiring or mysterious as Machu Picchu. Today, the city is one of the seven wonders of the modern world and boasts almost a million visitors a year.
0: But this wasn't always the case. Up until the early 1900s, most of the world had no idea Machu Picchu existed. That's where Hiram Bingham III comes in. Bingham
1: wasn't an adventurer by trade. He was a history professor. Still, during the summer of 1911, he took leave from his post at Yale and traveled to Peru with a small crew.
0: At the time, almost all the information the West had about the Inca came from Spanish records which, as we established earlier, were very skewed. But they did correctly name the Incan capitals of Vitcos and Vilcabamba. Although the Spanish had
1: sacked those cities hundreds of years ago, their exact locations were never recorded. As the jungle overtook the ruins, it seemed even local Peruvians either lost track of where they were or ignored them entirely. Because of that, Vicos and Vilcabamba became known as the Lost Cities.
0: Even so, they stayed in the public consciousness for centuries. Although the Spanish didn't know where they were, They suspected the cities contained massive amounts of gold.
1: Bingham wasn't there for the riches, though. He hoped to document the oral storytelling practices of the Incan people and generally get a better understanding of how they lived. If he could find Vitcos and Vilcabamba, maybe the ruins would reveal new information about the empire.
0: He started his journey in Cusco, once the political and cultural center of the Incas and kept his ear to the ground. Sure enough, he got wind of ruins to the northwest in the Urubamba region.
1: The Peruvian government had recently cut a path deep into the jungle. The area around the Urubamba was accessible for maybe the first time ever. So Bingham and his team set off, hoping the rumors were true. And thanks to his sponsor, the Eastman Kodak Film Company, he had some brand new technology to help him document the journey.
0: But his expedition wasn't easy. It rained constantly, soaking the crew's clothes and equipment and turning the trail into a waterlogged mess. They chopped through the impossibly dense vegetation and crossed bridges made of tree branches and vines. At times, the team crawled on their hands and knees through viper pits.
1: On July 24th, after six grueling days, Bingham finally reached the Urubamba Valley. There, in a small village near the base of the Andes Mountains, he spoke to a local farmer who told him about some nearby ruins.
0: Bingham later referred to the site as Machu Picchu, one of the terms historians believe was coined by indigenous locals as well as Wainapichu, or sometimes simply Pichu, which translated to peak in the indigenous Quechua language. The area wasn't unknown by any means. It was just at the top of the ridge. In fact, it seems there were families living there.
1: The way the locals described the site, it didn't sound like Vicos or Vilcabamba. But Bingham was already deep in the jungle. He wasn't going to
0: stop now. He asked the man to show him the way. It took another two hours of climbing in the cold rain before they reached a sign of life. There, Bingham and his men came to a collection of small grass huts. A young boy waited for them out front, eagerly leading the adventurer and his team the rest of the way.
1: It wasn't long before they emerged from the forest. Standing nearly 8,000 feet above sea level, They looked down on the clouds and Andean peaks surrounding them on all sides.
0: Right in front of them was a stone archway. The pieces wedged perfectly between one another, with each brick seemingly custom-made for that exact spot.
1: Bingham stepped through the arch and looked out over the ridge.
0: A series of man-made terraces and gray granite buildings stretched for hundreds of yards across the mountaintop. An emerald blanket of jungle overgrowth covered the city, but Bingham could make out the intricately planned structures and clear walking paths that crisscrossed the land.
1: On the far side of the ridge, a pointed peak rose high above the other structures. It looked like some of the buildings mimicked its distinctive
0: horn-like shape. Bingham couldn't believe his eyes. He thought the Spanish had destroyed most of the Incan infrastructure, When he heard ruins, he likely imagined a few crumbling walls and an altar, but this place looked untouched.
1: He pulled out his camera and snapped a photo. And with that picture, he became the first academic to ever physically document Machu Picchu.
0: Coming up, Machu Picchu makes history. Now back to the story.
1: On July 24, 1911, Hiram Bingham III became one of the first non-Indigenous people to lay eyes on Machu Picchu. He made the detour to the Andean mountaintop on little more than a whim, but what he found completely changed the way the world understood the Incan Empire.
0: Although the jungle had reclaimed the city, the buildings were in almost perfect shape and there was evidence of people living inside.
1: Bingham snapped photos of the granite structures. He took notes on the long irrigation channels, the winding walkways, and the stepped terraces. Then, at 5 p.m.,
0: Bingham and his team turned back toward camp. He'd been to South America several times before, and Machu Picchu was certainly the most complete Incan ruin he'd ever seen. But it wasn't one of the lost cities. Vilcabamba and Vitcos were his main priorities.
1: Over the next few weeks, his team continued on the valleys of Peru, winding their way alongside the Vilcabamba River. Before long, he made good on his promise to Kodak. He found Vitcos.
0: Shortly after that, the team crossed over the Andes into the Amazon basin, There, in the region known as Espíritu Pampa, or the Plain of the Ghosts, they came upon the last capital of the Incan Empire, Vilcabamba.
1: However, this was a bittersweet victory. Between Conquistador raids and nearly 400 years of encroaching jungle, the lost cities weren't much to see. In fact, it wasn't clear at first if they were actually the cities they'd been looking for. They paled in comparison to Machu
0: Picchu. Bingham was desperate to go back to the mountaintop city, this time for a proper excavation. But his expedition was over, his funding gone. He had to return to Yale.
1: Back in the United States, Bingham showed the pictures to Kodak and the company fell in love. It didn't take long for him to get his wish. They were eager to finance a second expedition, supplying him with whatever cameras, equipment,
0: and film he needed. News of the mysterious city in the Andes spread throughout academia, drawing in another sponsor, the biggest name in global exploration, National Geographic.
1: Bingham used the extra cash to recruit professionals from all walks of life, including a bone specialist and a geologist. Suddenly flush with cash and state-of-the-art gear, Bingham returned to Machu Picchu in July 1912. Last year, there had been signs of at least one family living there. This time around, they were notably absent.
0: It's not clear what happened to them, but the Peruvian government gave him the run of the place. They permitted him to remove artifacts from the site, and take them back to Yale for further study.
1: Bingham's first order of business was to clear the brush away. Free of the dense vegetation, he could see exactly how each building was constructed.
0: In a region well-known for earthquakes, the structures appeared completely intact. Like the gateway that welcomed them into the city, many of the bricks weren't held together by mortar. They were freestanding, an engineering marvel, made possible by the fact that each stone was precisely carved, so much so you couldn't even slide a knife blade between them.
1: This confused Bingham and his team. The Inca didn't have access to iron or steel tools. Horses weren't introduced to South America until the Spanish arrived, and they didn't even have the wheel. And yet, the Inca had managed to build a 2,000-foot-long city 8,000 feet in the sky.
0: There were homes and temples, a royal palace, and 16 fountains all fed by a mountain spring nearly half a mile away. The water flowed through a complex series of irrigation channels, and amazingly, some of the fountains still worked.
1: There were about 170 stone structures in total. In one, rounded walls surrounded a massive boulder that sat in the middle of a room. Three windows faced the ridgeline in the distance. Because of the way the sun cut through the windows, Bingham dubbed the building the Temple of the Sun.
0: Beyond the buildings, there were nearly 600 step terraces carved into the side of the mountain. They were basically the same design, 7 feet high and 10 feet wide each raised in the middle to promote water drainage. Evidence suggested corn, potatoes, and avocado had once grown on top.
1: The terraces had four distinct layers. First, coarse rock, then smaller rocks, then gravel, and finally sand. Above all that, there were three feet of topsoil that must have been hauled from the riverbank below.
0: Like everything at Machu Picchu, the layering was intentional. The city gets about 80 inches of rainfall a year. For perspective, that's more than double the average Seattle gets. That, combined with the region's frequent earthquakes, means the area is prone to mudslides.
1: So even if the Spanish never sacked the city, Mother Nature should have. And the Inca must have known that. So they designed the terraces to drain water while maintaining structural integrity. They were actually holding up the city, keeping it from sliding off the ridge and into the river valley below.
0: Engineers have estimated about 60% of the construction on Machu Picchu is actually underground.
1: Bingham couldn't get enough. Between his two expeditions, he took copious notes and nearly 2,500 photos. He developed them right then and there, which was an accomplishment in itself. The trickle of the mountain spring didn't provide enough water to mix with the chemicals, so his team hauled water from another river 1,600 feet below.
0: As he inspected the photos, Bingham marveled at the impressive engineering, hydrology, and physics no one on his team, including him, could figure out how the Inca managed such a feat.
1: But beyond that, another question stumped Bingham. Why the Inca built the city? It wasn't near a crossroads or a port or a major body of water. It was far away from their population center.
0: Nothing about Machu Picchu made sense. And since there weren't any written records from the Inca, all Bingham and his team could do was keep digging.
1: As they excavated the land, they came upon a burial cave. And then another, and another. Within a matter of days, the crew uncovered 100 grave sites.
0: From what the bone expert could tell, a majority of the skeletons were female, which made Bingham wonder if Machu Picchu was home to something the Spanish observed at the time of their conquest. Perhaps, he theorized, it was a convent for the Virgins of the Sun, a sect of Inca holy women who worshipped Inti, the sun god.
1: Historians at that time already believed these women were chosen between the ages of 8 and 15 for their beauty and talent and taken from their families to live in isolated temples. There they took a vow of chastity and spent their days making clothing for the high priests. During important religious ceremonies, they essentially acted as caterers. Some of these women were eventually sacrificed to Inti, others subjugated to marriage to nobles.
0: But Bingham didn't have anything in the way of facts. This was all speculation. In the end, he returned to the US in November 1912 with more questions than answers. And despite all the unknowns, it wouldn't be long before his exploration became a worldwide phenomenon.
1: Coming up, Hiram Bingham hits the big time. Now, back to the story.
0: After back-to-back expeditions to the Andes, Hiram Bingham III had a career's worth of material. He'd found the lost cities of Vitcos and Vilcabamba, and was thought to be the first outsider to lay eyes on the mysterious Machu Picchu. While he knew what he'd found was truly remarkable, he didn't know exactly what it was.
1: Neither did his sponsors National Geographic and Kodak, but they didn't seem to care. The photos spoke for themselves.
0: Although he was an amateur photographer, Bingham had developed a great eye. Kodak would go on to use his photos in ad campaigns, the photos would promote their products for decades to come.
1: For their part, National Geographic was so impressed with Bingham's work, they dedicated their April 1913 issue to Machu Picchu. Its pages featured hundreds of his photos. It was a huge hit, capturing the imagination of adventurers around the world. The city's murky origins only added to the intrigue.
0: Within a matter of months, Machu Picchu shot from relative obscurity to one of the most famous places in the world. And as its star rose, so did Hiram Bingham's.
1: As far as Western media was concerned, Bingham was the lone authority on the site. So they pressed Bingham for answers. And he was happy to oblige.
0: In his book, Lost City of the Incas, Bingham claimed Machu Picchu was the last capital of the Inca, the lost city of Vilcabamba. He stuck by this claim even though he himself had located Vilcabamba on his 1911 expedition.
1: Whether it was ignorance, stubbornness or basic greed, it's hard to say why Bingham disseminated this narrative. But we can speculate.
0: Being the Machu Picchu guy brought him a level of fame few professors achieved. He might have had too much riding on his newfound reputation to admit he didn't know what Machu Picchu was.
1: So he flipped the script and turned it into a place he felt more comfortable discussing, Vilcabamba. That city was one of the very last to fall to the Spaniards. Since the Spanish knew about it, so did Western society. The same couldn't be said for Machu Picchu,
0: And Bingham's bogus claims weren't the last controversy he would face. Although the Peruvian government had allowed him to take artifacts from Machu Picchu back to Yale, they still owned them. And once the city started making headlines, the government decided they wanted them back. It wasn't until 100 years later that the university returned the artifacts to Peru in 2012. But Bingham's
1: most contested title might have to do with the biggest event of his career. It's possible he wasn't the first Western person to lay eyes on Machu Picchu.
0: According to Peruvian anthropologist Jorge Flores Ochoa, other American, British, and German explorers had come to the region before him. In Peru, some people call Bingham the scientific discoverer of Machu Picchu, which may be more accurate.
1: Bingham returned to the city once more in 1915 for a highly publicized visit also sponsored by Kodak and National Geographic. It was part of a massive retrospective later published by the magazine.
0: By then, he'd started receiving criticism for his aggressive self-promotion and lack of transparency. Not to mention his inability to admit Machu Picchu was never really lost and he wasn't the first one to truly understand its significance, as he claimed.
1: With all that noise, Bingham decided to call it quits on exploration and turned to the skies for a new endeavor. In 1917, he got his pilot's license and joined the war effort as an army lieutenant colonel. In France, he led the Allies' largest aviation training center.
0: When he got back to Connecticut after the war, he looked for his next adventure in the glitzy world of politics. He served as Lieutenant Governor of Connecticut, governor and US Senator. His political career also featured scandals that had nothing to do with Machu Picchu. In
1: 1932, he lost a bid for reelection and moved into the private sector. That's when he wrote two more books about his work in Peru, Inca land, Machu Picchu, and a citadel of the Incas. He spoke about his expeditions and even dabbled in the banking industry.
0: Despite all the controversy he faced, he was still heralded as the face of Machu Picchu. In 1954, he was even the basis for Charlton Heston's character in the film Secret of the Incas.
1: Decades later, the character would inspire elements of Harrison Ford's costuming in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. In a roundabout way, Hiram Bingham laid the groundwork for one of the most iconic characters in American cinema.
0: Bingham died in 1956. Afterward, the site he located in the Espiritu Pampa region was confirmed to be Vilcabamba
1: but his passing didn't dampen the public obsession with the legendary city high above the clouds or the Incas who built it. More archeologists and geologists flooded the Andes, desperate to fill in the gaps.
0: Everything around Machu Picchu remained incredibly murky throughout the middle of the 20th century, especially when geologists discovered the city was built directly on top of not one, but two active fault lines.
1: Now, the building's unique stacked stone design seemed even more amazing than before. Experts realized the lack of mortar allowed the stones to bounce during an earthquake and immediately resettle without collapsing.
0: The engineering bordered on genius. Scholars eventually managed to crack a few more of the mysteries around Machu Picchu, including the spectacular Temple of the Sun. It turned out it wasn't a temple at all, but a calendar.
1: During the winter solstice, which happens in June in the southern hemisphere, the sun shines directly through the center window of the rounded structure. The rays splash across the giant boulder in the middle, cutting it neatly in two. This allowed the Inca to accurately keep track of the days from May to August.
0: But there were other aspects of the city experts couldn't attribute to the Inca's intimate knowledge of astrology. For example, some of the lintels, the top part of the doorway, weighed more than three tons. Archaeologists couldn't figure out how the Inca lifted the massive boulders without a crane.
1: Since the Inca didn't leave a written record explaining these feats, the public was left to speculate. The theories were as colorful as ever, ranging from magical anti-gravity tablets to alien intervention.
0: To uncover the truth about Machu Picchu, scholars had to dig deep into the brutal rise and harrowing fall of the Incan Empire. And while the truth might not be stranger than fiction, it was certainly bloodier. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Tuesday with Part 2 of Machu Picchu.
1: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
0: Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our Head of Programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our Head of Production and Quality Control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Jesse Harris, edited by Natalie Pertsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Chelsea Wood, recorded by Alex Button, produced by Bruce Kotovich, and sound designed by Carrie Murphy. Our hosts are Richard Rossner and me, Molly Brandenburg.